Welcome to Soul Searching, the Soul Recruitment Podcast, where we tackle all sorts of great topics in the areas of recruitment, job searching, mindset, technology, marketing, culture, and lots more. It's amazing what you'll pick up. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back, everyone. Darren Saul here, your host of Soul Searching, the Soul Recruitment Podcast. It's episode 43 and tech series part two. So really proud to be able to bring you these great, more tech-based episodes to really help you in your day-to-day. And today we've got Nathan Nicol in the house. How are you doing, Nathan? I'm doing very good. Very good. It's a little bit miserable out here with the weather up in sunny Brisbane. Not sunny yeah. Brisbane today. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, bit, it's not great in Sydney either. Oh, no. So, At least we share it. <laughs> But um, today we're going to be chatting all about automation and its place in managed services. So Nathan is a guru in this area. He currently works for an Australian-based managed service provider called Takala Group as an automation engineer within a newly formed software development team. He is assisting Takala in building in the evolution in automated products and services with a focus in the areas of API integration, robotic process automation and smart analytics, driving increased employee morale and business efficiency. Nathan's history spans 11 years of software development in many business domains and their application stacks with a strong affinity for the managed service provider space. He believes the IT industry has just gone through the cloud infrastructure boom and that the next progression is the automation boom. I love it. That's great, Nathan. So welcome to the show, Nathan. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. It's funny. I saw the last line there of my intro of uh, something that I got from Decada, which I thought was a really good, um, really good summarization and, and, and aligns with their plan for the future, which I thought yeah, was awesome. I love that. That is so, <laughs> it's so true. And you know, the more and more I speak to people in the IT space, automation comes up all the time, yeah. all the time. So, but before we jump into that, Tell us a bit more about your career journey, just briefly, and why you're so passionate about automation and, and this this piece of the, the IT puzzle. Yeah, um, I'll start. I'll start with the passion first, I, I guess, because I can move into the other. Um, I am passionate because I'm just a tinker in general. I like to I like to fix, modify, um, you know, build things. It doesn't matter what it is, like you know, softwares just the primary domain in which I do it in but um you know things from like mechanics and cars or car on a weekend and yep. I'll, 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 you know and and compu- it started with computer hardware and playing video games because you know I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't uh afford a really good computer so I had to make what I had work and <laughs> I've always just been doing something I think um in that in a space of um very mechanical you know like whatever it is but as a career I kind of fell into software development it wasn't the initial thought when I was like 18 and I just moved to Sydney. I um I actually moved to Sydney to study chemistry or study science in general. Oh my God, there you go. I've yeah took a bit of a took a bit of a turn. Um, Sidestep. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and um well, it just sort of happened. I realized that I was in an academic setting. I was um studying at UTS, um doing science and I was doing okay, not great, but okay. Um, but I was also working part-time. I got a part-time job as um, like as a printer administrator, so helping people print at university or University of Sydney in particular, and understanding like the print software around that as well. And studying at the same time, and one thing led to another. I ended up decided to I got offered a full-time job based upon some ad hoc work that I did for the company I was working part-time at, and ended up dropping out of university for this job because I was kind of enjoying that a lot more. Um, some other things were involved, but, you know, for the most part, I think I liked the IT work a bit more and I was always mucking around with computers at home and stuff. So, um, yeah, fell into that. And that was my first job working for a small company called Monitor Business Machines. And, um, that was all to do with like point of sale machines and transaction management. And initially I started out just as a technician. So, you know, I was on the service desk answering phone calls, doing tickets, um, and after six or so, maybe a little bit more months, um, within the first year, there's some issues with our software in the platform. And it kind of, we got bad support from parent company and I had to learn a lot of data, like a bit of database stuff so I can understand how transaction processor of it works a bit more. And got a real like knack for 
understanding the software thing. And I never really thought I'd be a, you know, software developer or anything. It just sort of happened. And um, had some people along the way, especially at the first job, a couple of people in particular that that guided me um, and gave me like, you know, some tools and understanding, especially in the software space where inevitably I ended up. And um, yeah, so then from there, one of the business trains worked with Fuji for a bit doing accounts payable stuff. Um, and cutting, (laughs) cutting my grass and some more sophisticated things, playing with, you know, slightly larger businesses because the first company I started out was pretty small. And, um, and then after that, so that's five year or so mark, six, five year mark. Yeah. I got into Ethan group actually was six years. So yeah, Ethan group about the six year mark. And that's my first managed service provider since I was there for three years. Really, really loved it. Got to own pretty much a lot of the uh, platforms and services around like ticket management and like work, like workflow handling, doing lots of integrations with it, onboarding customers and whatnot. And for the most part, for my most time there, I really, really did like, really, really did like that job and, um, and really appreciated that business and that the style of business in the MSP space. And you get to play with a lot of technology, right? So generally, and many service providers are always going to be fairly cutting edge um, in terms of what they need to deliver because they need to be there so they can attract customers in and be efficient and have those technologies that are emerging especially or have just recently emerged, I should say, so that they can um, sell those on to customers and customers believe that they're getting a good, you know, up-to-date service. So nice. got to play with a lot of stuff and that's probably the takeaway message about working at a managed service provider is that you get to play with a lot of things. Um, and Definitely. yeah, really, really liked it. And then recently I've been doing a bit of contracting um, in ERP development space. Um, initially when I moved up here for a manufacturer, um, don't know if anyone knows them, the Bradnams Windows and Doors, they're around Australia. Um, not a massive company, definitely a bit, probably one of the bigger ones that I've worked out, they're pretty big. Um, and then after that, I, or, and before, before Takala, so just recently, um, I was doing e-commerce development and uh, looked after a small uh, development team in the ERP space. Um, so we're looking after Dynamics AX and planning a migration for that. And truth be told is it wasn't exactly my most exciting time of work the last couple of years because they were both involving ERP development. Um, and that's definitely for a, diff- for a different type of developer compared to me. But uh, learned a lot, as you do, learned a lot in this style of work. And back at Takala now, and it's kind of refreshing and good. Um, six weeks in, um, ask me in a few months to see how I feel, but if it is so far so good, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they, you love they really make you feel that I'm uh, that you're welcome. They really value the diverse experience that I had, and um, back doing what I was sort of doing at Ethan Group, except in a more um, advanced capacity in many ways. Like just the, what you know, Takala now have is quite updated compared to previous my previous experience with um, within the MSC space. But it's great, um, nice. as I said. So six weeks in, great, loving it. Well, there you are. Look, Takala is a sensational company, and I'm sure you're going to really enjoy your time there. Yep. Um, so, obviously, during you know your career, you've always even even though you might not have been doing a lot of work, particularly in automation, you've probably always used automation in every role. Am I right? Yes, correct. I mean, automation is just taking you know. Um, I mean, to give you the breakdown, right? I mean, automation is just taking a task that would otherwise be manual, generally in a piece of software. I mean, you could have it in all, all industries, realistically, like fully-fledged robotics, um, you know, um, big industrial things. Like a lot of things are automated and it's like, well, the key definition of it is a person doesn't then have to go and manually do a particular task, right? So it's anything where you can come up, can come up with a logic or pattern or uh, framework that will prevent people from needing to do a particular task That's it in its most simple form. Um, so yeah, software development is all automation. Um, I try not to get onto all the buzzwords because there's a lot of the buzzwords that are thrown around in IT as well. You know, like everyone talks about automation. Well, now we've been doing it for, you know, years and years. It's just that I think the focus has become more and more of that because software in a lot of respects, no matter what you use, has a high degree of automation to begin with. But I think automation's now becoming, well, there's all these pieces of software, you know, like how can we give better value out of that and not have to deal with 20 things at once? So um, 
I guess that's why it's coming into to light now is because there's lots of software out there, lots of little isolated automated systems, but um, when you get enough of them, they create more of a headache for, you know, a business because they've got 20 different things to manage. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, like the more we get advanced in terms of technology, the more work it creates in a way. So yes, you have yeah. to have some kind of way to automate stuff or you drown. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's where I think the, the phase, like the next evolution is going is because there is lots of fantastic software out there and in isolation, brilliant, but businesses don't just use one piece of software. They use 10, 20, you know, heaps. Like in the stuff that you businesses use individually that other businesses have never even heard of. Um, you know, you've got your big giant software and generally they're okay. Like they, they, they have a lot of automation capability. And if you use it in the way that they direct you to use it and get more of your business involved in one, you know, ginormous piece of software that does everything you can get a lot of, like you get a lot of less of those headaches but then you're stuck within the confines of what that software can do as well so um businesses have gone out they pick pieces of software here and there and uh created a different type of mess compared to what they used to have <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i mean talking about automation i'd love to kind of break down a little in, a little bit about exactly the different ways there are to automate because I mean, in my career, you know, up till now, I've just heard of a lot of, you know, PowerShell scripting and scripting and things like that. But obviously, it's much more sophisticated than that now. So tell us a bit about the different ways out there to automate. What are, what are people's options? Yeah, so um, I, like to, I like to look at automation as a bit of a philosophy. I'll go through a bit of a user story with this as yeah, well, sure. just like a, a concept story. There are really three main components. Um, you know, the first level, is API integration. So that's really getting your information between systems like those 20 systems we were just talking about and saying, okay, I've got this information over here and this information there and different teams and different departments use different pieces of that information, but there's no cohesion. There's no cohesive way of all that information being put in one place. So API integration kind of solves that problem where if we, if the platform that it has, uh, um, that has an API, you can make one platform talk to another platform and share that information so that different different parts of the business are not left in the dark when changes occur on one end that need to that have some type of dependency or flow on. And the user story or the, the, the story that I can talk to about this and flow on to the next points is uh, user creation. So for example, like you might have a HR system. Right. HR system, like HR, new, new starter comes along and got a key in all this information, job title, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, but that's just the HR and paperwork side done from, you know, your, your legal perspectives. That's then going to flow into the technical team for a technician to then work on provision accounts, set up everything. Now, traditionally, like you HR people who didn't just type up an email, send through a ticket or create a ticket, but it's just in plain text and start an email. Mm. Um, that's a traditional way of doing it. And an automated way would be, okay, well, we're going to get the HR system and we're going to push that information through the API of the ticketing system and create that ticket with all the information in a very structured way. And it collects it so, you know, it, it makes it easier for the technician to either work on uh, if there's still manual tasks beyond that, because this is just the API integration, it's not doing anything beyond that. Uh, but they'll have, they have all the information they need or most of, you can have an integration that is, you know, partial, yep. majority or all, you know, it really depends on the need. Um, and once that information is captured via an integration, it makes it easy to do the next step, which the next step would be um, the actual process automation. So you could you could do process automation on the HR side, although at some point someone's gonna need to gather information. We'll just, so that's why I'm starting there. But in the ticketing side, it's okay. Once you've got all the information uh, in as a ticket or something inside the ticketing system, does that technician then need to do the manual work before the manual work's captured? So the idea would be that, okay, you're going to automate that process of provisioning a new user in Active Directory or Azure Active Directory, and you would write some programming logic around that that looks at those fields and then connects with those services and says, all right, here's all the user information, let's create it. And after it creates it, they then get a response back on that ticket and they go, okay, yep, um, this has been created. I still may need to do some more tasks off the back of that, but then I don't have to do all this chunk of work and mainly going that's into a system and creating a user. Okay. And, that's, and, and that's, is that what they call robotic process operate, uh, automation? Yeah, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, <clears throat> there, there is a key difference there. So, 
The reason why we, the reason why Takala says robotic um, is there are lots of older software out there that doesn't, that don't have an API. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use the robot. Like, you know how, like you hear about people online, they use a robot on a web page and they'll buy the stock out before it even gets in. Like there's the whole video card problem lately yeah. and some of the technology things. Well, robots, it's the same thing. So like Takala has the mechanism of using robots like that to enact physical user tasks, like as if somebody was logged onto that web page to do a particular automation. Mm-hmm. So that would be used in a case where we have an API that isn't very good, doesn't have many features in it, or uh, has no API at all. And a lot of accounting software and a lot of older HR systems, which are quite prolific out there in the world, uh, um, they don't have any of those features. So you how you're left with just the robotic process automation using basically client robots that enact as a user and then automate what exactly what a user would do based upon the checks and balances and everything. Um, so it's just a different mechanism um, compared to say your API and soft like uh, what do I say workflow engine type automation, which is what you would have off the back of a of a uh, of that second point, which is the the automating of process. Okay, perfect. And the third point and kind of the final point um, is the analytics around it. So like, obviously you don't just go and say, oh, let's just automate this thing because software development takes a long time and it's very expensive. So you kind of got to do a bit of an analysis of like, okay, how many, how many new user requests are we getting per month and how long do they take? And how many people do we have to service those requests? So you gather that data up front, and usually ticketing systems just sort of have that if they're tracking time. If they're not tracking that, you'd have to use more intrinsic measures of like, hey, our whole team spends you know so much time doing user account creation. Um, one, they should be logging it, but <laughs> probably probably start logging it from there on so you can start tracking. But you'll get an intrinsic understanding of like the team's dedication towards it as well. So that's how you kind of start with you go down a path of automating or not. Right. And then at the end of it, you can back you can back it up and say, okay, well, we need to measure the effectiveness of the automation. So um, how many automations did this take, like did this um, deliver on that a user didn't then have to do that? And kind of what's the time saving and volume saving there? So that's how you kind of get the clever analytics around the back of it. There's um, other things around the space of machine learning and pattern recognition and clever, like, yeah, just, just clever predictions of things as well if you're tracking data. But the problem is, I think, with the analytics side is that um, a lot of businesses are not very, they're very good at sort of capturing data, but they're not very good at um, structuring the data, so to speak. Yeah. So there's a lot of data out there, but people are like, I don't know. Organizing the data. It's yeah, that's right. Organized. And it's it's actually a bit of a, a bit of a problem because no one in, like, at least in my opinion, is a, developer like when we get given a task or um, to build something you've only got so many hours and so much budget so therefore some of the accessory things that should have been done maybe haven't been done up front mm-hmm. and one of those things is paying attention to your data so we have a new crisis as well as associated with the um this automation um bubble that we're moving into this automation uh area mm-hmm. um and that is the data is not like it's not clean because businesses 10 years ago didn't care about it. And now all of a sudden like, oh yeah, our business has scaled and we need to understand where the efficiencies are and what's what's going on and what's up. We don't have to do with the data. So, um, so that's a really that's good why, point. So what do they yeah. what do they do? Do they go back or do they start again? Or how, how, what do you do? Well, you tell me how many job <laughs> advertisements do you see for data scientists and data engineers now? And why mm. is data engineering such a big thing? Okay. It's because of that problem that's come about over over the last, say, 10 years where people have just stuffed data away, not cared about it. And the problem is, is that as that expands, it creates a bigger and bigger mess. And data cleansing can be pretty tough and rigorous work because you kind of got to reverse engineer how a lot of platforms, systems, and businesses sort of operate at the process level to deduce meaning from that data. Um, otherwise, it's just a bunch of technical stuff that you have to work out. The system's tracking it, but what does that mean, you know? <laughs> Sounds like some serious work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, okay, fantastic. So really, so three parts you've got in terms of automation. You've got yep. um, API integration, process, and analytics. Correct. That's right. And I think that covers a broad spectrum of what type of automation like you have. Now, underneath all that, there's software development logic that goes into it, but they're, they're three really good focus areas that or focus philosophies to look at that you can say, okay, how do we automate? Kind of that's how, because you, you, you need to, 
you, you need to get the information you need first. I mean, this is specific, I guess, the API stuff is specific to the software space, but you need to get all the information together to know what you need to automate and how you can automate. And then you need to understand the process. And finally, you need to measure it. So um, that's where the analytics come in. And um, yeah, with that, that's kind of like a philosophy as well at Takala. We, we align strongly with that. And I think it's a really, really good philosophy to, to move with. I like that, great. And so in terms of the tools available, Tell us a bit more about the different tools or are they development languages? Are they tools that are different from development languages? And what are some of your favorites? Yeah. Um, and how long is a piece of string? We can go forever. That's on. right. That's right. There is how long is a piece of string. I actually even had that in my note. Because <laughs> um, uh, there, there are no, what I would say, best tools. Um, they're all good and bad in ways, right? Um, I think that, you know, you've got your major stacks. So you've got like Microsoft, um, which is huge and covers a lot of like it covers Azure DevOps, everything Azure. Mm -hmm. It covers your operating system layer, you know, so Windows um, Server AD is huge, especially if you do lots of like corporate style development and automation. They're always going to have Active Directory and Azure Active Directory, um, and you got ServiceNow, um, and those those big platforms. I mean, you. <laughs> I've got some of the other ones that I don't deal with, like IBM, um, they have their own stack and they've got oh, wow. um, AWS. All of those big platforms and kinds of DevOps and automation all kind of do the same thing. They do the same thing in different ways and to yeah. different levels, but they all have a capability for cloud-based um, process automation using, you know, um, low code, uh, code serverless apps and serverless apps is a bit of a misnomer because it's yep. still on a server. It's just the way that it's executed. It's very efficient for resources. Um, all, all of them have the same type of thing. Um, and there's no particular great or bad. I mean, I have a bias towards Microsoft stack because okay. that's what I've played with a lot of the time. Yeah. We've got, um, and inside the stack, you know, you've got DevOps um, and you, you everything in Azure and Azure is big. I only know probably like 10% of it enough wow. that build stuff and implement wow. stuff. That's There's it. heaps. And well, yeah, look, I'm one person and Microsoft spends over $14 billion a year on building new features in the R&D. <laughs> so I can, like you can try and keep up, but yeah, it's it, like you, you need to keep up, I think, in an avenue that aligns with what it is that you're doing. So for me, it's all about like what the MSPs do. So it's all about Active Directory, Azure Active Directory capabilities there and all the plugins and, the net, and some of the networking side. Yeah. But there's a whole like slew of things in there that, um, yeah, that, that you know, are, are beyond me, but they're not, say, not saying that I can't, you know, you can't learn it. It's just that you don't need to by the time you learn it, you're going, you're going to forget something else or something else is. So you need to, yeah. you're just kind of learning as you think. But um, yeah, so my bias, um, you know, we got SQL. Uh, which is SQL query language. We got C sharp. Um, um, of course, the whole issue of DevOps stack, and I think it's I think it's really good. Um, and you've got your uh, source control repositories like Git. Um, PowerShell's huge. If you're if you're a <laughs> if you're in the uh, MSP space, it's probably a must-have. I think these days. Yeah, exactly. um, I mean, you hear and, that all the time. Everybody's talking about PowerShell. Yeah, and it's it's a, one of my favorites actually, um, be specifically because it's an efficient scripting language. Right. Um, it uses .NET Core underneath, but in PowerShell syntax, okay. and has the same performance capability as say like a, a fully fledged um, language like C Sharp, which is very quick. So like C Sharp, Java, it's not something I play with too much, but Java is pretty much the opposite of, well, not the opposite, but it's like the other stack of, uh, of C-sharp, both do the same thing. There's nothing wrong with picking either or, um, and both perform about the same as well. Um, but there's not many scripting languages that give you that kind of um, extensibility uh, and access to all of the features of an entire development stack underneath mm -hmm. that PowerShell does. And I can see why I say Microsoft has been, you know, really pushing it, especially recently as a whole the native cloud administration language. Um, and yeah, and I, and I think that um, with with my biases, there's also a lot of stuff. I do a lot of web stuff as well, CSS and HTML. You've got Angular um, wow. and those languages. I mean, Angular is pretty interesting. It's a bit C-sharp you like, but in JavaScript. Um, and then there's base JavaScript as well, which is pretty much phased out because it's all, it's all packaged, like it's all packaged frameworks these days. So like the Angular, React, 
oh, Facebook uses it, let's use it ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> um, but no, they, they, but the thing is, the, the messages, they all kind of they all kind of do the same thing. I have a bias just because that's what I'm exposed to. Um, one of the left of field things that I sort of do a bit as well as Python. Um, and I don't mind Python, but it, it would be, um, it's not very performant in certain capacities. So it doesn't matter what language you pick, you think about what are the components, the solution you're building first, and then you go, what's the best suit, you know? Hi guys, just a quick message. I'm always on the lookout for engineers in the managed services space across Australia, support engineers, systems engineers, network engineers, and solution consultants. I only work with the best companies that are going places, really value their staff, have great techs and offer stacks of training and other benefits, up to $1,000 for successful referrals. Who do you know? Feel free to give me a buzz, 0414-659-800. But right now, back to the conversation. Um, and there's a lot of lot of variables to, 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 to place on that. So, And I mean, I can, I'm assuming that you know, you mentioned so many different languages and tools there. I'm assuming that once you know a few, you can add a transition to others pretty simply. It's like it's, it's the same structure, just a different vocabulary in a way. Yeah. So, I mean, the way you the way you go about building something would be sort of the uh, sort of the same. Um, they both have a lot of the same programmatic methodologies in a way. So, like, mm -hmm. they they all have loops. They all have. Um, Certain certain ones have declarations, certain ones do not. I mean, that's more of a syntax thing. So you all have yeah, loops, lists, um, if if blocks, which is like an if this, then that type gotcha. statement. Yes. So they all kind of operate in a similar way. There's lots of syntactual differences mm -hmm. between them all. Um, uh, some easy to learn, some not so easy to learn. Python's really big at the moment because, I'm, at least in my opinion, it's an easy language to learn. It's not the most performant language, but because it's so easy and we're in a bit of a developer shortage, it's like, hey, Python, 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 let's do Python for everything because it's easy to pick up and get going. Yeah. Um, whereas something like C Sharp gives you a lot more control and um, you can build a lot more sophisticated, uh, complex things with it. Um, but it's, it takes a lot longer to get up and running and learning with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, they all do operate a bit the same. They are, as you learn more and more and you get more and more experience because it's kind of like pattern recognition, you kind of realize that, oh, uh, this language is probably going to behave something like this unless it's something really left to field. But there is two differences and I, and I have to point out, I guess, with this. There's <clears throat> scripted languages yep. and then there's uh, abstracted languages with like classes and things. So yeah. the differentiation is um python is pretty cool it can kind of be both um i've used it in both capacities before but then powershell not so much it's more of a scripted language now what that means is that everything is usually contained within one file and there's not as much interreferencing within that file going on there can be but usually not that much and an abstracted language has like a lot of more structure overall to the components of that app so like you'd pick you'd pick an abstracted, more abstracted language like C-sharp if you're building something that had, that was going to get quite complex and big um, and you can have multiple people working on different features in the one project at once. Or, but if you wanted a quick point-to-point -point integration or a point-to-point -point piece of automation, you could use something like PowerShell and you'd be done a lot a bit quicker because you don't have to worry about the structure. It's also easy to learn or easier to learn than say like a fully abstracted language. Um, and yeah, the cool thing about Python and one of the pros to it is that it can actually do both. Um, and I can see why it is popular. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, Python has been around for a long time as well. Yeah, it has. And it's, it's actually getting better, a lot better yeah. over time. Yeah, so, I mean, cause there's more popularity, people are using it for more, more and more enterprise stuff, not just networks, people doing, a couple of like bespoke networks thing. You've got people doing it, using it for data. You've got people using it for general automation as well. Um, and yeah, it's an, it's, it is a really easy language to, to get up and get going. And that's probably really important too, is that as a developer, especially if you're starting out, you there's a lot of information you have to learn and it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the complexity of what it is. So starting with a really simple language like PowerShell or like uh, Python is a brilliant stepping stone, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's really good advice for the people out there that are looking to, you know, learn more and upskill in this area because they think it, you know, it's going to be the future. Um, now, you mentioned, obviously, the three main components of um, automation. Where do you see this further growing in the future? What, what do you see now in the next five, 10 years? 
Um, business is getting to a point now where um, they are realizing that their software, that, that there's creating a lot more headaches, right? Especially as businesses grow. Um, the problem is whenever a business grows, um, the efficiency decreases full stop because for every person you get on board, there's always an overhead. And also, especially in recent times, employee morale was a bit low. And part of that can be attributed to crap experiences with software because there's a lot of crap experiences with software out there. Um, there's a lot of convoluted stuff. And I think that period of time a little while ago, people would just pump features into a piece of software um, yeah. to make it look like feature rich so they can sell it. But then they, some of the basics are really clunky and I get right. So I think that a refinement of what we have, like we've already, we've got, we've had our infrastructure all pushed to the cloud. And yep. from a software perspective, all we did during those phases is like, okay, here's our old existing software. Let's just put it in the cloud. And that we're just, it's not exactly a copy paste job, but it's sort of like um, a, a port to work with cloud infrastructure solely. And now it's like, well, no, that we fix the infrastructure side. It's much easier to manage, but we still have clunky software that doesn't talk to each other and all that. So I really do think that the, there's going to be a massive crunch in the next, say, 10 years that will make automation front and center and probably more people that were really good systems administrators back, you know, during the cloud boom are going to look at the automation and go, maybe I should get into that because that's that's the next, like, what we need to do to improve, like, businesses' experiences with software and, and technology. Um, because there is, there is, in my opinion, a bit of an experience deficit with a lot of stuff out there, especially in corporate, corporate settings. Like, a lot of that software is either really outdated, um, just not designed very well, designed with um, a less capable framework that was really you know, old, part of being old, um, and or the intuition's not there. And... Um, I think that's another important thing too over the next automation phase that we're going to go through is we need to make software intuitive uh, as much as possible. I, is, is, that, is that AI? Is that what we're talking about? Or just that's much more so recognition? Or? Yeah, more so design. I mean, AI, AI comes into it where you're dealing with a lot of information and you want to deduce lot, like patterns out of it and profile things. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that more like well, equally as important as doing um, you know, your big data stuff like AI and machine learning to deduce like patterns is, um, yeah, getting getting intuition down pat with like software. So case in point with this is that I'm sure that we've all been in some ticketing system before, like before where you just don't, it's too clunky to flow and you don't know what the logical progression of information or how you're mm. going to fill the ticket in or what you're going to do next is. There's lots of that still out there. It's getting better and better, but that takes a lot of time to rebuild. Uh, because if, if you make your team, like if that's more intuitive, you then need to spend less time on training people how to use a piece of software. And I'm an advocate. If it's not, if it's not intuitive, um, at least in the front end space, then it's not that great because yeah, <laughs> people are going to make mistakes. They're going to enter the wrong data. You have to then have more validations so that they don't enter the wrong data and it just creates a more and more frustrating experience so getting that design down pat's good and that's the second fault of that so if you if you get your data collection points down uh pat and really good to begin with and intuitive design you then get cleaner data and then you can start capitalizing on machine learning and ai because ai is useless without clean data and back to what i was saying about whole data engineering and data science thing previously was um, we have a data problem and with a data problem, you can't use machine learning or AI. So, because yeah. you need to clean the data, otherwise you're going to train the profiling AI engine to match the wrong thing or it's going to be too inaccurate. So yeah, that, that'll be the future. Data, data cleaning, um, better overall systems, integrations and solutions, less mundane tasks and an extension of that, you know, machine learning for more sophisticated um, analytics to come from that. Um, and th th that's where I see the next 10 years being. Okay. And just a, in, in other words, just a more um, sophisticated progression of what we're starting to do more of now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> in ways it's sophisticated. In other ways, it's <laughs> sort of the same stuff that's rehashed in a, in a, in a better <laughs> environment, you know? Like, okay. I, I like to use the concept, people talk about AI and machine learning all the time. And I'm like, you know, one of one of the first car like was the second car but anyway scratch that they cars in the early 90s had machine learning in them but they just like people didn't talk about it because they had a profile like they it adapted to the way you drive so it adapted to like oh you drive like this uh you're you you're 
leg moves at this rate and under these conditions and it kind of adapts to it. So we've had machine learning for a long time. It's just that now we have a lot of compute capability yeah. that can process a lot of information. It, and when another is it good... more, um, more useful and more valuable in what we do? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, but I think for the first time ever, especially after the cloud boom, we now have easier tools to work with to... Yeah. To, to build on that. We're not building these things from scratch. It's more unified, which is nice. Yes, yes. And just for my own knowledge, because I'm still confused myself and maybe other people out there as well. What's the exact difference between machine learning and AI? <laughs> um, <laughs> not much. <laughs> okay, well, there is, there is a technicality really. Um, so machine learning in its essence is profile matching. So mm -hmm. let's, Elabor I'll elaborate. Say, say you got like a hundred photographs um, or a thousand, you need quite large samples. So I say a thousand and you're trying to tra train a computer, the difference between a cat and a dog. Right. Some person manually has to go through there and tag all the cats and tag all the dogs. Gotcha. And then you need to feed it and feed it and feed it and keep feeding it information until it gets up like enough of a, a, a database of patterns that it can confidently say that that's a dog and that's a cat. So that, that profiling system is the machine learning component. Gotcha. Now, the AI um, um, component is also the logic around it. So us developers will do things like, okay, uh, case in point, like um, you can do sentiment analysis by a phone and they, they can de detect if that person was angry or frustrated or happy or <laughs> mid-range, but I can't like... It, it can't detect sarcasm, which is something machine learning hasn't really gotten to the bottom uh -huh. of yet. And I'll explain, I'll explain why in a sec, because this is kind of a cool point. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, the so that, that logic around it, and we can put probab probabilities in, so we can say, okay, if this is 80% angry, um, then raise a ticket. 70% angry, raise a ticket. We, we can define and, and say what ratio and what, wow. like almost business logic or what, uh, yeah, this is logic word. What what we can do with that based upon the results we get back from machine learning. So the AI comes around. Also, machine learning has another component to it, um, which I think it's uh, is a bit of a hiccup. Like it has a, um, a like people often equate it to like mass raw data processing for things like um, you know DNA uh, sequencing and uh, I'm trying to think like uh, fluid dynamics where they do the whole see like a demonstration on the screen it's got to calculate mm -hmm. every like atom and it's a huge calculation and, and it's it gets also gets confused i think with ml or machine learning with like high compute performance processing as well but they kind of are they're, they're a strong overlap and you you'd be forgiven for thinking ai and machine learning are the same thing gotcha. um there is there is the one point of where machine learning is not good and I, uh -huh. and I should define this context shifting so like that sentiment analysis thing I was saying before, where it doesn't understand sarcasm. Hmm. Um, that's because it has no construct of how to define sarcasm yeah. because it's only got text. And how do you deduce that? That's right. From text. And, and maybe one day we will, but we're like, we're not there because there's a lot of information because you've got cultural information you need to collect, like how people write in different regions, it, even down to like, you know, larger countries like in um, China or India, you've got people that have different writing styles in, they're different cities and different, you know, subregions. So it's really hard for that to do that. And another thing as well, like, um, is there's an element of say creativity sort of lost when say like, you know, you can get AI to build like a basic template website. You can give it a couple of parameters, but if you've got AI to build every website based on all the data out there, every website will end up eventually looking the same right. because it's like, you got all these patterns and they kind of all converge at some point. And that's where it kind of, like it's not good at thinking outside the box, so to speak. It's very good at doing and and finding patterns for the same task that you want to keep performing, mm -hmm. but it's not good if you want to go something really, really left the field, out of context and shift. And and also contrary to that as well, in computers, like context shifting has a massive performance penalty because it's 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 uh, tough on the old uh, CPU. <laughs> um, right, right, right. So so even AI is is also quite based on patterns in a way. It just has more yeah. degrees of, there's a bit more yes. gray within it. Absolutely, yeah. It is just a glorified pattern recognition system. Okay, wow. So it isn't really intelligence, pure intelligence in a way. No, no, not not far from it. I mean, 
and a lot of that stuff also comes from the algorithms that developers write around it um, to deduce what meaning that that result would have as well. Um, and it, it look, it definitely has its tools and benefits, and and I. I like a lot of the service I have and they're, they're easily available and easy to like even to set up. You can just set up as a, as an average Joe user with some development knowledge and connect to a machine learning instance and feed it some information and watch it match a profile, which is kind of cool. And it does it really quickly as well. Like again, performance is, is really, really awesome. Um, no matter which stack, Microsoft or Google, for either the ones that I've used previously um, to use. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see it happen because it's almost like magic, especially when you've got so much data yeah. and you're like, I can't see it happening in this and the computer can do it in a couple of seconds. So, <laughs> Incredible. But a good, a good takeaway point for anybody out there, I suppose, is keep your data clean. Yeah, or so oh, clean it up. <laughs> yeah, or <we'll> clean it <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you know, all of this stuff is not going to make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in terms of automation, are there any pitfalls or are there any examples of when maybe you shouldn't even go there? Like, or is it always going to be useful to some degree? Um, I mean, it's always going to have a use, but you have to, whenever you're looking at things in terms of automation perspective, there are some things that are really complicated to automate that have a huge development cost and time. And there are some things that have a lower cost or mid-range cost, but you need to work out what value it's providing yeah. um, and the meaning of that. And that's probably the hard part. Um, I mean, a lot of businesses will just look at it at time time and money. They'll look at it as, okay, it costs X amount of hours to do this. They don't look at the um, uh, the intrinsic things like, you know, the experience. And that's probably another focus I think that would be good to get more people on board with over time is that, what are your, you know, how is your employee experience going to be? Even if you invest a bit of time, effort, and money, it doesn't won't necessarily save you money, but it'll make and streamline the process for say that person to do their day-to-day job. Like that's a really good point. That's a really good yeah. point. I love that. I mean, it's good to look at both. Don't get me wrong, but based upon those values, then you can extend that out and go, okay, well, how much time is this going to cost our development team? And development's always a bit fuzzy. Um, oh, sorry, development estimates are always a bit fussy. Um, and you can work your way from that and understand whether it's worth it or not. A lot of, a lot of businesses will end up building lots of stuff or more traditionally in, say, the uh, software development space and build a lot of features into it. Yep. But they don't really gauge whether that has true value to the uh, to the end users or the customers. So um, that would be a case. So that's why it's like one, probably one in two software pieces or projects out there end up costing way too much money and then end up um, not delivering much value. And that's just an unfortunate, but that's because they never answered the questions at the start. Yeah, what is what is the, the core value, value of this? and what's the intrinsic value? Yeah. <laughs> but I really like that point of, you know, the more you use automation to help your, your user experience, mm. that can have an incredible effect on your morale, on the culture of your company, on the retention of your staff. I mean, this is huge. Yeah, and um, to color and what we're doing is very focused on that as well. And that's where the RPA stuff especially kind of comes yeah. into it because old clunky software, let's, you don't want your you know, accountant having to go through 300 invoices to do a couple of things on each because the software says so. Um, and you already know, you want something going there, do it. And then if there's a problem, tell you about it, right? So right. And that gives them, you know, that frees up their time then to go learn other things, do other things that are more important, grow their yeah. skill set as well. Yeah, yeah, do some training in other areas. Yeah, et cetera, yeah. Et cetera, of course. I love it. Um, and so my last question really is for the people out there that are looking to get into, you know, this world of automation and, you know, because they think this is definitely going to be something important for them in the future of their career, where should they start? You mentioned before, maybe do a bit of PowerShell, a bit of Python. Where should they do a search? Should they do a course? Should they just do some tinkering? What do you, what's your advice to people getting into this? Yeah. Um, I think, look, I mean, if, you, if you're interested in you already, you're probably already tinkering. Like if you're, if you're thinking about starting, you're probably already tinkering. You probably play with computers and stuff on the side or, you know, what, what you don't want to do and it's also common in the side of work is people also go for, you know, they just look at the salary that some of the jobs pay and like, oh, I want to be there. And it, that's not going to work out. You're going to be very frustrated. So to start, um, you just got to, you got to, Show show that you're passionate. Demonstrate you know commit um, like that you, you're committed and you're focused and that you you really like technology and just try try and get a position that 
gives you a lot of exposure to that because exposures what's going to get you really really far whether you're doing system administration whether you're doing automation stuff because you learn a lot um it's probably one of the the shortcomings i think of a lot of larger educational institutes is that they don't give you enough exposure with you know enterprise grade soft like solutions and what you would be doing is like a more entry level or you know mid-level even junior tech tech or developer role so yeah, just you've got to get exposure and get out there and see it and and the best way to start i mean i have a bias but i start on the service desk yep. and i got to learn basic it first before i started doing software development at least in the managed services space that's had a huge payoff because I know, like, I know how the basic IT stuff works. I'm not in an isolated bubble building an app on the side, and I don't know how all of the plumbing works, say, for exactly. setting up a business. You've got to so, know yeah. what you're actually trying to automate in the first place. Exactly, I mean, and this this is in the MSP like context, but because <laughs> like some people are brilliant mobile apps developer and don't really know much about um, you know the MSP side of things. But getting exposure out there is really important in whatever it wants you to do, and just start playing around and 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 yeah, when you feel that you grasp grasp very some of the concepts you can just go start start looking for a job and and apply and i mean we're hungry everyone's hungry for talent out there and and we'll, we'll take anybody we don't have that many software or computer science graduates in um per year in australia i think we have somewhere in the three thousand mark yeah and it's really sad to think that you know we have three thousand computer scientists but over fifteen thousand lawyers graduate every year so to put that in the context, we rely heavily on um, overseas skilled migration to fill some of the gaps. Um, COVID's hit us hard. We don't have enough people Definitely. everywhere in IT at the moment. Um, just talk to us, yeah. poor recruiters. <laughs> and, and just one, one, one thing to say on this as well, like um, if you're getting in the software development space, so be, be really realistic about it too. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the salaries you see for like the jobs advertised, um, you know, they there's a reason. There's a reason for that money. Often, the times, and that is, there's a, so much that has gone into training. And the only way you become a really good, competent software developer or automation engineer is spending ten thousand hours. And that's all. I, that's all I can say to it. It takes a lot of time to get good because there's so much to learn. And you, you're only like every job you have, every task you do, you're exposed to an extremely small sliver. But as they build up over time. You understand things better and 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 how things work. You put in the time, the effort. You know, some people may not take ten thousand. Some people may take a little while, but persistence is key. So yeah. keep at it. And and look, hours. and that's right. And you don't and like because it's it's hard. I think it's hard out there to yeah. It can be hard out there to assess the quality of a of, of an automation engineer too. Um, it's and yeah, and they have to pay decent salaries out there to keep to attract them because because it's just not that many to be honest. Like yeah. it's it's hard work. It really is hard work. And there are times where I've spent days, you know, banging my head against the keyboard trying to work something <laughs> out. Um, yeah. Sometimes sometimes something silly. Sometimes you know it's, it's something out of your control as well. And 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 developing good understanding. It can be very hard, but it's also very rewarding because I've built some pretty cool stuff along the way, and I take a lot of pride in seeing a project or a piece of work coming to fruition and people getting, you know, good value out of it. Oh, you know, Jan from accounting or whatever comes over and says, "Oh, the report you made is really good." And um, so you've saved oh, me hours of time. I can spend time with my kids now. Fantastic. That's right. I'm going to get you to build 10 more now. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's rewarding in that way because, um, yeah, not and, and not many people can do it. Um, and also the business users usually interfacing with don't really quite understand what it is that you need to do behind the scenes at the plumbing. Um, but if you give a good end result and, you know, um, keep, keep a good channel communication open, um, develop those rapports and relationships. You build some really good stuff, and 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 at the end of the day, it's the end result that really counts um, to the end user. And if if that's great, um, they'll give you plenty of reward for that. And uh, the plumbing and stuff, yeah, it's going to take you way more than just showing a showing a page on the screen. But yep. that's you. You just got to take appreciation for you being able to do that and being able to produce something. You know, yeah, I like that. So in other words, it's kind of also being a little inquisitive, like. You know, if you're doing something and you think to yourself, yeah. well, how can I automate this? How can I make this a bit easier? And then try to work out maybe with a couple of little scripts or doing something to try and make things a bit more efficient. And that can start you on your journey. 
Absolutely. And I think, I think starting like, you know, one of my first scripts that I wrote was renaming a file on a, on a hard drive yeah. um, and date renaming something. And then, you know, extending beyond that because getting, I mean, getting down all the logical patterns that, you know, um, of how programming kind of works to begin with, it's probably more important before jumping straight into fully fledged API integration because they have their own quirks and features. So yeah, um, it is. And yeah, and just give it a try. That's all. And you'll, you'll know if you, if you kind of like it or not, um, because you'll be somewhat glued to the screen. <laughs> um, and if <laughs> you are up, that stay way- Stay up all night. I know, I can just imagine. I try not to. It's <laughs> good for my health, but- um, <laughs> oh, and, and one other thing as well, I, I have to mention this as part of like the career and being a software uh, developer, just be careful of burnout in your career too. Nice. Very common, this line of work, very common, a lot of mentally taxing lines of work. Yeah. Be good with boundaries, don't work all night. Um, I only saying that because I've reached one. I've reached that point before in my in my career, and it really is no good. <laughs> it really does. It really it really grates on you. You lose all enthusiasm for it, and it was my own doing. I just worked too many hours. Um, always trying to trying to do this, trying to take on too much on board. And you know, best way to do it is that you're more like if you're more refreshed and you're not working yourself to the bone you have better creative ideas and come up with even better solutions to what you otherwise would have come up with because you've taken more time and consideration and you're not drained. So be careful of that. It's massive in software um, and IT in general as a whole. It can be quite taxing in there. It's just, um, but aside from that, there's like any industry pros and cons uh, and it's very rewarding if you like tinkering. <laughs> Great advice. Really, really good advice. Well, Nathan, I mean, that's been absolutely incredible. I really enjoyed this discussion. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, you really do know your stuff. And, you know, I think that, as you mentioned, there's a, definitely a place for this and it's going to become more and more sophisticated in the years to come. Mm. So anyone that's interested in getting into this area, do some research and, and, you know, make sure that you think it's going to be suited for you. But, um, you know, Nathan's given you some really good advice as to how to start off and, you know, start... Um, tinkering and start doing a few things in that area to allow you to breach your goals later on. So Nathan, really appreciate you coming in on the show. No problem. Um, it was great to be on. Any, any last words? I always like to give my guests the last word or two. You know, we've covered a lot of this. I don't have any particular at the moment. I will say that um, if people yeah, want more information or uh, other uh, tips and things, I mean, it's, there's a wealth of information out there and stuff that I can share with. Feel free to reach out, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, awesome. Nathan Nichol, to Carla Group, shouldn't be able to miss me. I think there's only one of those at the moment. <laughs> I'll make sure that I put that link in the show notes so people can find awesome. you. And yep. uh, don't be surprised if you get a thousand connections tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I'll, I'll get to them, hopefully. <laughs> My response rate can be a little bit slack. I asked for one, but, but I do get to you eventually. So. <laughs> uh, well but, uh, so Nathan, really appreciate you coming on the show. Everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That was sensational. And we're going to be back with some really, really great episodes on or tech episodes in episodes to come. So stay tuned. But uh, Nathan, thanks again, man. And everybody have a fantastic day. Bye for now. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Saul Searching, the Saul Recruitment Podcast. If you'd like to join me as a guest on the show, I would be delighted to collaborate feel free to buzz me on 0414-659-800 or email me on darren at saulrecruitment.com.au. I'm always on the lookout for great guests who can share their stories and expertise with my community. But for now though, have a fantastic day and I'll see you next time.